This morning we are continuing our sermon series as we work through the seven churches in Revelation. The first church that we looked at was Ephesus, and from looking at the inside out, Ephesus, or looking from the outside in, Ephesus looked like a church that was healthy, like a church that you would expect to be blessed and to grow. They were doing a lot of the right things. They were, for all appearances sake, looked like a healthy church should. But they were missing something. They were missing their first love. They weren't loving God as they should, and they weren't loving their neighbor as they should. And Jesus called them to repentance. And then we looked at Smyrna, who was being faithful in the midst of tremendous, difficult persecution. How they were facing that, and that they were essentially responding by putting that full armor of God on, and they were, uh, when you break that down, they were essentially putting on Jesus Christ each and every day. They were putting their attention, their heart, their focus upon Jesus in the midst of that really challenging, really difficult persecution. And then last week, we looked at Pergamum and the importance of making sure that we don't compromise our values, our belief, our faith, our integrity, our character. And today we're going to be looking at a new church. We're going to be looking at Thyatira. We're going to be looking at how dangerous false prophets can be and the harm that they can do to not just individuals, but to churches. Just as an example of how dangerous a false prophet or a false teacher can be. If you're not familiar, on November 18th, 1978, just over 900 members of the People's Temple, which was started by Jim Jones, died. Many of them took their own lives, but a large portion of them had their lives taken from them because they followed the wrong man. They put their faith, their trust into a charismatic leader who led them down a very dark, very deadly path, and it cost a number of people their lives. We're going to talk a little bit later about sort of how that transpired and how that came about. But for now, I just wanted to sort of illustrate the danger that false prophets and false teachers can have if we're not mindful, if we're not careful. John highlights this for us in the church of Thyatira. So I'd like to invite you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Uh, For those wondering, I'm uh, taking, I think, from the uh, New Living Translation, if that's helpful. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. 
you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of, him, of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear that the Spirit, or what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Thyatira, again, like many of the other cities that we have looked at, is a relatively prosperous city. There's lots of trade, lots of trade guilds. Uh, if you're familiar with Lydia in the book of Acts in chapter 16, she was a purple cloth merchant. She came from Thyatira. Thyatira was, a, again, a city that was relatively prosperous, a lot of, a lot of uh, trade and financial opportunity for those who were willing to, to take part and to work hard. And the patron god of the city of, uh, of that city was Tirim. Uh, Greek pronunciations kill me. They really do. It's Tirimnos, who is basically a version of Apollo, the sun god. And he sort of was the god or that sort of oversaw the guilds in the city. So the guilds would often sort of promote worship to him as a blessing that uh, everything would go well with the trades that they were uh, involved with. And so Thyatira was another city, another culture that was rich, deep, steeped in pagan worship and pagan culture. And again, that meant that it was not a particularly hospitable place to be a Christian, to have faith and to follow after Jesus. And as we go through this letter to the church in Thyatira, we actually see that they're much like some of the other churches, much like Ephesus. They're doing a lot of really good things. Seems like they're doing good deeds. It seems like they're showing a lot of love and uh, are demonstrating faith. There's acts of service. They're persevering in the midst of persecution. Again, if you looked at this church from the outside, it would appear that everything is going the way that it should. It would appear that everything was exactly as Jesus would have it be. It seemed like the church was largely doing the right things and believing the right things. But what often happens is that the church errs. They often focus on the church doing the right things 
or often on believing the right things. And in this particular instance, the church in Thyatira was doing a lot of the right things, but they were being led astray, or many of them were being led astray in what they believed. And that's a thing that needs to go hand in hand. It's not enough to simply believe what's right. And it's not enough to simply do what's right. They fuel each other. Believing the right things and doing the right things go hand in hand with being a Christian. And in this particular instance, they were doing a lot of the right things. But they had somebody in the church that was leading them down the wrong path in terms of what they were believing. And those beliefs were beginning to affect what they were doing. They were being led into idol worship. They were being led into sexual immorality. They were being led into brokenness in sin by this false prophet who they called Jezebel. Now, the name Jezebel might ring a bell for many of us. Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab in the Old Testament. King Ahab was king over the northern kingdom for a little while. She wasn't a native Israelite herself, and she led many within the kingdom of Israel to worship a false god, to worship Baal. And as a result of introducing Baal worship into the kingdom, again, many Israelites were led astray, and many prophets who remained faithful to the Lord ended up losing their lives because of their faithfulness to the Lord. Jezebel saw to it that many of those prophets were killed. We often see Elijah sort of standing against Jezebel and Ahab in the Old Testament, but he also paid for it. He spent a lot of his life on the run because it wasn't safe to honor the Lord in Israel while she was queen and while Ahab was king. And here in this passage, it seems like we have another Jezebel who is leading God's people astray. Now, we don't know if the woman's name, the prophet's name was actually Jezebel. It could be. Or it might also be sort of an allusion to Jezebel, who was the queen, just sort of a, a title of uh, given to her as a false prophetess. We don't know for sure if her name was Jezebel, but this was a dangerous woman, nonetheless, who was misleading God's people, taking them down the road to sin and to death. And we find out in this passage that Jesus cares a whole lot about his people and making sure that they stay on the right path, make sure, making sure that they stay going in the right direction in terms of what their faith should look like and how they should practice it and what they should believe. And through this, we get a highlight that, or we get this understanding that there is a tremendous danger in following after false prophets. Now, the obvious danger is they get led astray. We start believing the wrong things. We start practicing the wrong things. But we find out that there are significant and serious consequences, not only for the false prophet, but for those who follow after her and refuse to repent. 
There's suffering that's going to come for her and for her children. Now, it's helpful for us to understand that she's not, uh, it's not being referred to that it's her actual children that are going to suffer. There's sort of this spiritual mother, spiritual child relationship that's really being referred to. And so when they're referencing her children, they're talking about those who are following after her religiously, not her actual physical, biological children, but those who she is leading astray. And so for her and for those who have been led astray, there's going to be a tremendous amount of suffering if they refuse to repent, if they refuse to change and come back to following after Jesus in the way that he has laid out for them to follow. So there's this tremendous danger in following after false prophets. We see it here in the, in the Scripture, and we also see it again in places like Jonestown. This isn't something that we can take lightly. People can lose their lives because of the people that they choose to put their faith in, the people they choose to trust in, the people that they choose to follow after. And oftentimes we follow people who are charismatic. They have a great personality and we, we follow after them because they feel like they feel dynamic. They feel energizing. And we don't always pay close attention to what they're trying to communicate to us or teach us until it's often too late and we find ourselves enmeshed in this false teaching or false prophecy, false prophesying. There's tremendous danger in following after false prophets. And I want to talk just briefly about some ways that we can identify false prophets in our lives. In Matthew 7, verse 15, we're told that false prophets, false teachers, come to us as wolves in sheep's clothing. They might have the appearance of being good, but there's something subtle that's happening. They're sort of couched or dressed up in this goodness, but really that there's a predator underneath. A false prophet will come to us appearing like something good or righteous or beautiful. But oftentimes there's danger lurking underneath that costume that they wear. And so when we're looking out for false prophets, we want to make sure that we're paying attention to those who give off the appearance of goodness, but might have underlying motivations, might be seeking to be predatory, might be seeking to make things really all about themselves. We also know that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 and 21, we're warned against false prophets. And we're told that false prophets, their predictions don't actually come true. Now, I think probably most of us are sort of aware of this on some level because we run into folks all throughout Christian history who kind of seek to tell us exactly when it is that Jesus will come back. They make predictions about Jesus' second coming, and, and they make those predictions, and the time passes, and Jesus doesn't come back. Well, that's a false prophet. That's somebody who's claiming to speak for God, claiming something that isn't true, and 
ultimately that prediction doesn't come true. So when we're looking for false prophets, we're looking for people who might say something or proclaim something to be true, but in the end, they're proven to be false because their predictions are false. In Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, we find that oftentimes false prophets claim to be something that they aren't. Oftentimes they'll claim to be Messiah or they'll claim to be the next iteration of Jesus. We know that that's not true. But oftentimes people fall for that. Oftentimes people fall for somebody, again, who is charismatic and can do all these amazing and wonderful things. And they start telling people that they're the ones who really, really can bring salvation to their lives. They're the ones who can really, truly fix things for them. If you just do what I tell you, if you follow these steps, if you buy into my program, if you just invest so much money into my program, I'll give you everything that you need to get your life turned around and fixed. They set themselves up as, as Messiah. They set themselves up as a Savior for you. There's only one Messiah. Only one Savior. Only one Jesus Christ who can enter into your life and bring transformation. Only one Jesus who can bring healing and hope. The false prophets tend to make it about themselves. Make it about their brand. Make it about you following after them. You propping them up. In Jude, which only has one chapter, verses 8 through 12, we see that false prophets, false teachers, often have unbiblical lifestyles. A false prophet can be identified often because what they teach doesn't line up with how they live. What they espoused to crowds or to individuals doesn't line up with what their lifestyle looks like. So if a false prophet tells you that they are all about helping the poor and yet somehow they're accumulating mass amounts of wealth, well, then you're probably dealing with somebody who's a false prophet. If you're listening to somebody who tells you that they care about a certain issue, but their life is contradictory to that, you're dealing with a false prophet and a false teacher. In 1 John 4, 1-3, we find that a false prophet may, may deny the identity of Jesus. As we just said, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who brings salvation and sanctification and and righteousness, holiness to us. But a false teacher will lead us away from that notion. That you can find salvation, you can find holiness, you can find sanctification outside of Jesus Christ. False teachers they try to downplay who Jesus is in favor of making themselves look better, making themselves the center of attention. 
Ultimately, false teachers will lead people away from Jesus and to them as Messiah. And this is what we're seeing in the church of Thyatira. Many of these folks were being led away from Jesus. They were being led astray. They were being led into a life of sinfulness. And understand again, yes, sexual immorality isn't a good thing. And yes, eating the the meat sacrificed to idols and idol worship is certainly a bad thing. But there was an underlying cause. They were being led astray. There was something else that was at work. A false prophet, a false teacher that was at work. And yes, again, we can't ignore the fact that these sins were taking place. But in order to deal with sin in the right way, you have to go to the underlying cause. You have to go to the root of it. And in this particular instance, the root was being a false teacher. And that's what Jesus was dealing with. He was calling these folks away from the false teacher, the false prophet, and to align their lives back with the true Messiah, the true author of their faith and their salvation. And we see that those who remain faithful will be rewarded on staying on the path of faithfulness. They'll be granted authority. But the consequences for the false prophets are dire. They would be repaid according to their deeds. There will be suffering because of their lack of repentance. And that lack of repentance will lead to death for the prophet and for the prophet's spiritual children. This is not something that is unimportant. This is something that is deeply important to God. Making sure that there are people in authority who are teaching the right things is significant and important. God takes this very, very seriously. We see that here in this text, but we also see that in 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read a few excerpts. I'm going to read chapters one through, or verses 1 through 4 and 17 through 21 for you, just so that we get a sense of how seriously God takes false prophets within the church. Again, this is 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. And then moving on to verse 17. These people are as useless as as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. 
They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for they are a slave to whatever controls you, or for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It will be better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. Man, God takes false prophets and false teachers deadly seriously. We see this in the the chapter in Revelation. We see this in 2 Peter. We see this all through Scripture. Making sure that we are being good, effective, faithful teachers is really important to each of us in the body of Christ who endeavor to teach, who seek to impart wisdom and knowledge into our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And pastorally, man, I have to take that really seriously because I have to make sure that when I teach, when I preach, when even when I have conversations with people that I'm sharing things that are right and good and true. Because there is a seriousness, a heavy seriousness that comes to those who mislead. Who intentionally try to corrupt and lead people away from what is right and true. Now, I will be the first to admit that I don't always get everything right. I'm a fallible, flawed human being. There are some things that I have taught in the past that I wish, man, I, ha- I, I want that back really bad. Because I have said and done things that after reflecting later on, as I've learned more, as I've grown, I'm like, that just wasn't right. And I've had to repent of, of, of some of those things along the way. And it wasn't that I was necessarily intentional trying to be malicious or misleading, but there are just times as a flawed human being that I get things wrong. But my goal pastorally is to always be in the truth. It's to always preach, teach, and live the truth. Sometimes I mess that up. But man, as I read through these passages, there are deep, serious consequences for those who live outside of that. And it's my hope that I love live and preach and teach truthfully. Because man, I do not want to have to deal with the repercussions of that. That's some scary stuff right there. When you start talking about blackest darkness. I can't even begin to imagine what that means. That's it's a little frightening, a little horrifying. But I'm not also the only one who teaches and preaches in the context of church. We've got other people who do that in a variety of different ways, and it's important for all of us, each one of us, to be mindful of the things that we teach, to be mindful of, of the things that we are sharing with others. That we're doing our best to remain faithful and truthful 
to God's word when we do so. Which brings me to our main point this morning. Our main point is this. We must be mindful of those who would seek to lead us away from following Jesus Christ. And we must strive to remain faithful to him. And our life change is this. It is essential to examine our teachers, to test the spirits, and to explore our own hearts and beliefs to see if they are in line with the teachings of Jesus. Now, none of us is going to do that perfectly. None of us is going to live that perfectly. That's always where we're striving to go. To make sure that each thing that we say, everything that we do, everything that we teach, everything we proclaim to others falls in line with the truth of what Jesus has told us about the world that we live in and how we are to live in it as his disciples. Now, we might say that we would never be taken in by a false prophet. We're too smart, too clever, that would never happen. But again, let's come back to Jonestown. 900 people following Jim Jones. Jim Jones was a relatively dynamic individual, very charismatic. And he began his work at the People's Temple. By doing what appeared to be a lot of the right things, he was investing significantly in the community. He was doing a lot of, of work with feeding the poor, and he was doing a lot of work in particular with minority groups and uh, folks who were struggling to sort of find their place in society. It appeared, again, from the outside looking in, that Jim Jones was doing a lot of things really well. And he was connecting with minority groups and the marginalized groups in ways that a lot of churches in his community were not. And so there were people that were drawn to what he was doing and drawn to the work that he was doing. But there was something much more nefarious going on. It became a whole lot more about Jim Jones than it became about the work that was being done. And ultimately, over time, we see that it ended in 900 or more, just over 900 people losing their lives because they were following after the wrong guy. They got sort of brought in with that sheep and wolf's clothing thing. They got taken in, but eventually they were fooled. And they ended up, in the end, losing their lives because of it. Any one of us, if we're not careful, any one of us, if we're not paying close attention, can be led astray. We have to make sure that we are guarding our hearts, guarding our minds, that we are intentionally putting ourselves in a position to know, to learn, to understand, and to proclaim the truth. Regular people, just like you and me, who were looking for something, ended up being led to their death because they were looking for it and found it in the wrong place. And so, again, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, which says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and strong. Do 
everything in love. And that's what we need to make sure that we do. We look at Thyatira as an example. We look at Jonestown as an example and the many other cults and false prophets, prophets and teachers that we have seen throughout history. We need to make sure that we have, are on our guard, that we stand firm in the faith and that we stand courageously and that we are strong when we encounter things that we know to be untrue. And we need to make sure that we do everything in love. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that when we have fallen, when we have sinned, we can come to You, that we can confess those sins, and that You are faithful to forgive. Lord, for those areas where in our lives where we have either ignored or failed to pay attention to the truth, Lord, I pray that we would see that and learn to walk in repentance, that we would be a people who are passionate about truth, that we would be a people who seek to learn more and more about what is true and right and beautiful. Help us to see, to spot those who would lead us astray to see those who are false teachers, to see through their costumes, to see through their intentions that seem good, but are not. And help us to make sure that we stand firm in the faith. We pray this in and through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.